going to be reading in a moment from Matthew chapter 6. I apologize, that's much harder to find than Genesis that we've been in for the last few months, but I'll give you a minute to find it. First book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. By way of explanation, uh, Pastor Paul and Andrew and I, in discussion about sermon series, have decided that that. Paul would do all of the Genesis series. And so Pastor Paul is away and will be for a few weeks. In fact, he's fled the country. And uh, we trust that he will be allowed back in again, uh, getting some rest. And in his absence, uh, I, myself, and Pastor Andrew will be working through the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. I would like to say hello to those that are at home and are unwell. Uh, Lord be with you, and we don't want to lose touch with you. Matthew chapter 6, beginning reading at verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. And when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. Do you believe in prayer? Many people believe in prayer, but they don't pray. <laughs> Some people pray, but they don't believe in prayer. But when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So at this point, our Father knows more than we do. And in order that we would learn and find out what our Father already knows, but we don't know yet, our Lord says this, pray this way. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Precious words from our Lord. Dear Lord, please help us understand them, use them, and treasure them. The goal these next few weeks is to consider the usefulness and helpfulness of the Lord's Prayer in our own spiritual formation, which is ongoing. If you think you are spiritually completely formed, <laughs> then that's the greatest evidence that you're not. But the Lord's Prayer is a kingdom prayer, and I wish to point that out as we dive into it. And what I mean by the word kingdom is the place where God rules. I heard a great definition of kingdom recently. God's kingdom is where God's people in God's place come under God's rule. That's been true of 
all of redemption history. God has determined a particular place to bring a particular people under a particular rule, and that's his rule. And that's what God's kingdom is, and that's what this prayer is. It's a, it's a kingdom prayer. In other words, it's, it's words. Our Heavenly Father knows that we need to be brought into the kingdom of God, and there all of our yearnings for ourself and for our world will be met. We don't know that yet. And so our Lord says, pray this way in order that you would learn that all of the yearnings of your heart, all of your desire for sanctuary, all of the, your, your desire for identity and safety would be realized by coming under God's rule in his kingdom. But not only for ourselves, we have, we have yearnings for ourselves, but I hope you also I'm sure you do have deep yearnings for our world and all of the brokenness that you see, all of the wrongness that you see. Sometimes you don't have to look very far for it, even in our own families. And we, we think, Lord, we'll have deep yearnings for radical change in our world through the establishing of God's kingdom. I read a headline recently in one of the states in the U.S. declaring that in their state anyway, that COVID was officially over. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. I talked to somebody who had it this morning, but uh, in terms of all of the restrictions and many of the things that we have endured over the last few years uh, seem to to be gone. In fact, this month, March, will mark three years that, that we've had quite a few changes and now grown back to many things that are normal. In other words, we've had three years for opportunity to learn, opportunity for the Lord to teach us things through adversity. And the question I have for myself and for God's people as well is, in three years, have we learned anything? Have we received from God's hands the thing that he would use to shape and change us through adversity? I hope that if anything in three years of, of, of adversity, that you have at least grown in these yearnings that I have described. That you have even a, a keener sense that you need a sanctuary. You have a, 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 even a, a keener sense of a place where you need to be able to go in order to feel safe. I hope you have even a keener sense and a longing and a yearning for the world in which we live and all of the, the things that have transpired seemingly, seemingly even so rapidly in the last three years. In the rejection of the world and anything that has to do with their creator and their savior and calling God Father and the rejection of the kingdom of God itself. I hope that you have grown in those things, those, those yearnings. And this is a prayer for those yearnings. Right at the center of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, which is, a sermon delivered to describe the kingdom in Matthew chapter five when it says that Matthew or that Jesus sat down and began to teach the people. 
It's a kingdom teaching. He's saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And begins with that word, blessed. This is what it looks like to, to, to live in the kingdom of God. And so if, if you take that sermon and you go to the very center of the sermon, you'll find this prayer nestled in there as its jewel for the kingdom. This is at the center of the kingdom. God's people that are taught to use these words in order to pray the things that our Father knows that we need. Praying them not as a ritual, not merely reciting them, but as something that is a tool, something that is, is an instrument to bring the kingdom of God into my life, to bring the kingdom of God into the world in which I live. That's a powerful tool. And these are very precious words. Not as a ritual for reciting, but, but nevertheless repetitive over and over and over again. To pray, not necessarily the, the exact words, but to be shaped by the patterns and the thoughts that they give us. When I was a, a young person, my parents would sometimes buy me pants that were too big for me and give me a belt, roll up this, the, the pant legs so they wouldn't have to buy me a new pair of pants in six months. And I've heard it said that the Lord's Prayer is a little bit like the Lord giving us pants that are too big for us because there's a lot of room for growth. And you put them on and you begin to pray these words and there's a lot of, there's a lot of room to grow. And that's, that's, that's the goal. That, 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 that rule of God at the center of the kingdom using these words, that there would be growth and grace in our hearts and lives, that we would grow in our, our dependence of God and also be emboldened in our defiance of the world. And that's the title that we've, we've attached to this particular series going through the Lord's Prayer is that our Lord's Prayer, there are words of, of dependence and defiance. Depending upon God and by the very act of doing so, defying the world. And so those are works, word, these are words that nurture that dependence upon God to never stray from the truth, to be brought back into the presence of the truth of them over and over and over again, to immerse ourselves in God's grace by, by so doing, and also realizing that when it comes to the world that these are indeed fighting words. They are words that, as Jesus gives them to us, looking at them, they almost appear to be calculated to make the powers of hell scream. Scream to say, don't use those words. Don't say that. You ever, ever said that to somebody? Would you please stop making that noise? I can't stand it any longer. There are an awful lot we can say in our community of belief that the devil could care less about. But these are words that make hell scream. A sound, the sound of them cannot be tolerated. Don't say those words. You can say them, 
but don't believe them, is what hell would say. They are words of treason to the world. And they are words that put God's mark on us instead of the mark of the beast, to use the vocabulary of John's words to the churches in Revelation. It begins with a declaration. Very familiar words to you, I would imagine, probably. Our Father who is in heaven, I'm gonna spend two weeks on just that one phrase this week, just two words, our, our Father. Paul and I have a little competition going, who can go the slowest through any particular text? So <laughs> I'm, I'm determined to win. But it begins with a declaration. So it doesn't begin with a petition, which is often how our prayers begin. Lord, help, <laughs> understandably uh, at times. But that's not how the Lord's prayer begins. Our Father knows that what we need first and foremost is a declaration of truth, not simply a satisfaction of our needs. Our Father in heaven is, is a declaration, but it's not only the beginning of the prayer, it's the goal of the whole prayer. It's the object of the whole prayer. It states in the beginning what, what it is that in, in going through all of the petitions that we're, being, that we're laying hold of, that we're being sustained in. You are our Father. And it is a declaration. It is a wonderful pattern for prayer that is worth taking note of, to learn to pray simply declaring to God what is true about him. As you immerse yourself in the scripture and as you, as you come to understand with God's help what is true about him, use those to, to speak to God, back to him what is true and what you will find that in, in the, the wake of that, in, in, in that, that there are a whole host of things that come to light. All of our, how to pray for all of our needs, how to pray for all of our desires, how to pray through all of our failures, our best seen in the light of, of declaration. So when you're reading through the story of Joseph, as many of you are right now in the book of Genesis, and, many, and also in, in the book of Acts, reading through the imprisonment of Paul, if you're following along in our, our yearly reading program. And, and if, you're, if, if you're not in it, or if you've, if you have uh, dropped out of it, please dive in again tomorrow. We're starting, it's starting in very soon in the book of Exodus and in the book of Hebrews. And there probably is not a better opportunity for you to learn to the, the pairing of Old Testament text with New Testament text than to put the books of Exodus and Hebrews together. Tremendous opportunity. But learn to pray the scriptures. And the way that we pray the scriptures, we're trying to model it on most Sundays here too, going through the book of James, one phrase at a time, saying something that is true about God. And then in the light of what is true about God, all of our needs come to light. All of our desires are satisfied in the light of that declaration. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And so thank the Lord for his sovereignty in Joseph's imprisonment and Paul's imprisonment. And then in thanking or declaring God as a sovereign God, you will see so much that there is for you to repent of, so much for you to be thankful for, so much for you to ask God for. When you give thanks at the dinner table, consider a, a pattern of prayer 
that would declare something true about God. I said hello to somebody this morning, and she said, God gives so many blessings. And I said, so true. But to sit down at a meal with family or friends and say, God, you are merciful. God, you are generous to us. And do you see the path of repentance that lies in those words? <laughs> Forgive us, Lord. You see all the words of help that come in that declaration? Help us, Lord. You see all the words of thanksgiving that come in that declaration? Thank you, Lord, for all of what you are. The main point that I'd like to work through this morning is, is very simple, I hope, that this one word, Father, it's like, a, it's like a button that opens a truckload of stuff, good stuff, upon us. The one word, Father, alone puts all of our life in its proper perspective. And it puts all of our world in its proper perspective. All of the times that our, our, our view of ourselves gets bent out of shape. And the reason it gets bent out of shape is because the world twists it. <laughs> and we twist it ourselves sometimes. And we're full of perplexity about the world. And these are, this is a word, our Father, that puts both of those things in their proper perspective that our Heavenly Father knows that we need. So they're familiar words. I hope they're familiar words to you, but in their familiar, familiarity, don't let them be despised words or neglected words. They are indeed precious words. And so my goal this morning, for which I don't apologize, is to make you think. I can't make you think exhaustively about it, but my goal is to get you started, to think about these two words, our Father. Notice that there are no first-person pronouns in this prayer. I'll tell you what those are. They're I and me. Those are first-person personal pronouns. <laughs> But they don't exist in this prayer. It's only our and us. So what our Heavenly Father knows we need is that we need, first and foremost, to be identified as part of a praying body, not merely as a praying individual. It identifies us as a part of the body of Christ. God hears, his, our Heavenly Father hears his people. His Son has put us into a body. We belong to the body of Christ, and Christ is our head. And we, in that body, together, call God our Father. It is something that we participate in together. That, first of all, challenges our cultural and natural obsession with self. Just using the, that single word, our, our Father. Of course, he is my Father, and we can say that, that in, in all of these things in, our, in this prayer are true individually as well. But they're given to us what is true individually in the context of what we share together. 
And even knowing that we share this treasure together is something that puts a, a light on our relationships and our conversation with one another in our attitudes towards one another, in the words that we use towards one another. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness, gracious words. Why? Because the people that we speak to in the body of Christ are also people who God calls their child. And they are also people who call God their father. And so it becomes the basis of our care, of our love, and our respect of one another. You also are two things made in God's image, but that's true of everybody, which also calls for respect. But this beyond that that you are a person who also call God Father. And that's important for me to keep in my head when I'm speaking to you, when I'm thinking about you, when I'm engaging with you. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who loves the Father loves everyone that belongs to him. Secondly, our Father, it defines... Those two words, our Father, define our belonging and belonging we need. Our world is experiencing what some call a crisis of belonging, a longing for belonging, an absence of belonging, a vacuum of belonging. Many people tell me that even within the body of Christ, they don't feel that they find a place of belonging anywhere. These words are words of belonging. They bring us in. They say, our Father, you belong here. There are many things that contribute to the crisis and that longing for belonging. One of that is a breakdown of the family. And it's a reminder that one of the most simple, fundamental callings of Christians to love and yearn for the advance of the kingdom of God in this world is the simple things in life. That people have a place where they know that they belong. And some people have never experienced that in this world. And it's not our Father's well. Not only the breakdown of the family, and you can see how things, uh, so many of the issues in our culture right now that are hot buttons are targeted at that very thing. But also the, the society that we live in has become preoccupied with rights. And we've become a rights-based society. And the irony of that is that while people demand their rights as a way of inclusion, the irony is that the demanding of the rights has actually led to more isolation more longing for belonging. But this is the founding declaration of the kingdom of God, a place of belonging. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what is true about you naturally in the flesh. If Jesus brought you here, then you belong. 
because God is our Father, not by nature only, but by redemption. Praise the Lord. I hope you belong. I hope that you can call God Father. But notice that's not only the positive way of inclusion, it's also the negative concept of boundaries. If you can't call God your Father based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit to cry, Abba, Father, then these words aren't for you. This isn't a place of belonging for you yet. They are Christian words. They are words for Christians. Many people complain and that, that the church is too, too excluding, that it's too difficult to penetrate, too many rules, and, 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 but this, this, we don't set the boundaries. God does. And the boundary is that, that you belong to God, that you call God Father. Thirdly, it declares the gospel to us. The words, our Father, declare to us all that Christ has done for us in a single word. It opens with one button, that, that truckload of things that we could talk on for a long time about what Christ has done for us in order to make this possible, as, as Laurie read from Amos, the God who made all things, the dawn and the dust, who rules over all things, the omnipotent God who created all things, that's the God that we call Father. And in that is a declaration of all that is necessary in order for that to be true. It's the gospel. Our Father are words that are not possible to say without washing. They're not possible to say without cleansing. You cannot say, Our Father, unless your sins have been removed from you as far as the East is from the West. <laughs> and they have been, praise the Lord. And God is our Father. Because the gospel is true. But they declare the work of Christ. They also declare the work of the Spirit to fill us with the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Father. Fourthly, it confronts our unbelief. I don't know any words more significant for me <clears throat> in these words, our Father, than how it unmasks all of the ways that I fail to believe the truth that in the gospel, God is my Father. In other words, these words, our Father, are not for a cuddling hug with God. They are words that are confrontational. Our Father confronts us with the truth. It confronts us with the sin of our habitual unbelief that God is our Father. And that habitual unbelief is made so evident Evident sometimes in our, in our character, in our life, in our habits, 
in our worldly ways, in our relationships with others, in our anger. There's often visible sins that we're, we're sensible to and we know that we need to repent of and, and, and we do so. But underneath those visible sins, such as anger, for example, just one of them, there are the deeper laying sins of unbelief that don't yet fully believe that God could possibly accept me, that I could possibly be God's child, that God could possibly love me, that I could possibly find a sanctuary in him, that I could possibly made, com be completely safe in him alone, that he is my path for all of my vexation and perplexity about the world around me. And so the words, our Father, gives us much to repent of for all of the ways that we disbelieve it. It is easy to say, but it's hard to believe. So, sometimes it's in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's in conflict with somebody where you simply need to say, Lord, I'm not believing right now. <laughs> my patterns of thought, my patterns of behavior indicate a very deep mislaid confidence in a fundamental declaration of the truth that you are my father. Please forgive me. Proverbs 30, verse 31. I read through the Proverbs, this one that I pause on often as I read it several times a year. It says, pressing milk produces curds. Come on, you know this one, right? <laughs> it's a, a little bit obscure. Pressing milk produces curds. Uh, pressing the nose produces blood. So if you've ever gotten a fight and lost, you know that, right? <laughs> I like how the scriptures put that so calmly. Yes, pressing the nose produces blood. Yes, it does. Well, so what, Barry? Well, there are times in my life where I, I, I pray, Lord, in my unbelief, would you please press my nose? <laughs> in other words, I don't need a cuddly hug. I need my nose pressed because I'm unbelieving. And I need to be woken up to the truth that I could be more gracious, that I could be more content, that I could be more peacemaking because the truth is like a well bringing life into me. God is my father. The fifth one is that it defies the world and the devil. Our father are words of defiance.
going through every phrase of the Lord's Prayer, this is going to be one of the points for every single one of them. They are words of dependence and words of defiance. To say our Father are words of defiance to the world because when we say our Father, we are saying to the world, I will not be your child. I will not find my security in you. I will not find my identity in you. I will not find my change in the world through your methods and your ways. I will not find my worth in you, my belonging in the world. And I will not take your mark as your child. Sixthly, and finally, the words our Father present our treasure to us. And we so need to know where our treasure is. Not simply to know it once or twice, but to know it again and again and again. The words our Father reminds us of our wealth. Jesus will say later in the same sermon, speaking of wealth, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And these are words that let us do that, using these words to seek first God's kingdom and our own dependence on God and our way in the world. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. We may not have much treasure on earth, but we have great treasure in heaven. <laughs> I feel like I should also stop here and say, time for repentance. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. If I could just have that, or if I just had this much, I'd be a happy berry. Habitually, regularly, faithfully, having my treasure that is set before me, that is eternal, that will not rot, that will not fade away, that cannot be stolen, a great treasure in heaven. In order to make our way in this world with contentment, with peace, joy, but we need to know where our treasure lies. And let me explain that a little bit in the current present context in which we live. And it's been true of many ages of Christians before, but for some reason we find it shocking that there could be an economic disadvantage by professing Jesus as Christ and God as our Father. Many Christians have faced this over the centuries. And the reason I mention it is that if we don't know where our treasure is, we could succumb to the temptation of never wanting any financial disadvantage because of God our Father. And so we need to know where our treasure is. The Apostle John reminded the church in Laodicea, he says, to, to buy gold. 
Some of you are maybe buying gold, <laughs> but not that kind of gold. Buy gold refined with fire so that you may be rich. This is the gold. This is the gold refined by fire that makes us rich. The words, our Father. I'm going to close by reading words from Psalm 73 this morning. Barry, you'll find the Psalms in the middle of your Bible to the right of Job. You, O Lord, hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Thank you, Lord. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Thank you, Lord. Whom have I in heaven but you? Forgive me, Lord. And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Forgive me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I thank you, Lord. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for your greatness. That you are wiser than us and that you are our portion forever. I pray that you would grant us the gift of your spirit, not just once, but over and over and over. That we would know these words that bring your rule into our life. And I pray that your rule coming into our life would satisfy us with the words, our Father. And I pray that, that the words, our Father, for our world too, that is so broken, that more people, Lord, would come to believe, come to know, come to be healed. Help us to use these words for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.